Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Friday, November 3rd episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at mm, christianpodcastcommunity.org. A lot of great listening over there, over 60 well-curated podcasts, a wide, wide variety of topic areas, all covered from a biblical worldview. I will guarantee you're going to find something over there you want to listen to. And there's a real, very real chance you're going to find more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. So it's definitely worth your while. I would encourage you to get on over there. All right. Well, we're going to be doing our uh, Bible reading this morning, and uh, we'll be wrapping up our Bible study for the week. Uh, we'll, we're moving into a new section in John chapter 14, talking about what Jesus' death meant to him. So let's go ahead and let's jump into our Bible reading, and let's open up in prayer. We're going to open up with the sixth day morning prayer. It's called the gospel. Let's pray. O thou most high creator of the ends of the earth, governor of the universe, judge of all men, head of the church, savior of sinners. Thy greatness is unsearchable. Thy goodness infinite. Thy compassions unfailing. Thy providence boundless. Thy mercies ever new. We bless thee for the words of salvation. How important, suitable, encouraging are the doctrines, promises, and invitations of the gospel of peace. We are lost, but in it thou hast presented to us a full, free, and eternal salvation. Weak, but here we learn that help is found in one that is mighty. Poor, but in him we discover unsearchable riches. Blind, but we find he has treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We thank thee for thy unspeakable gift. Thy Son is our only refuge, foundation, hope, confidence. We depend upon his death, rest in his righteousness, desire to bear his image. May his glory fill our minds, his love reign in our affections, his cross inflame us with ardor. Let us as Christians fill our various situations in life, escape the snares to which they expose us, discharge the duties that arise from our circumstances, enjoy with moderation their advantages, improve with diligence their usefulness, and may every place and company we are in be benefited by us. Amen. All right, our morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. The text for it is from Acts 9.11. Behold, he prayeth. Prayers are instantly noticed in heaven. The moment Saul began to pray, the Lord heard him. Here is comfort mm, for the distressed but praying soul. Oftentimes a poor broken-hearted one bends his knee, but can only utter his wailing in the language of sighs and tears. Yet the groan has made all the harps of heaven thrill with music. That tear has been caught by God and treasured in the lacrimatory of heaven. Thou puttest my tears into thy bottle, implies that they are caught as they flow. The suppliant whose fears prevent his words will be well understood by the Most High. He may only look up with misty eye, but prayer is the falling of a tear. Tears are the diamonds of heaven, 
Sighs are a part of the music of Jehovah's court and are numbered with the sublimest strains that reach the majesty on high. Think not that your prayer, however, however weak or trembling, will be unregarded. Jacob's ladder is lofty, but our prayers shall lean upon the angel of the covenant, and so climb its starry rounds. Our God not only hears prayer, but also loves to hear it. He forgetteth not the cry of the humble. True, he regards not high looks and lofty words. He cares not for the pomp and pageantry of kings. He listens not to the swell of martial music. He regards not the triumph and pride of man. But wherever there is a heart, uh, sorry, but wherever there is a heart big with sorrow, or a lip quivering with agony, or a deep groan, or a penitential sigh, the heart of Jehovah is open. He marks it down in the registry of his memory. He puts our prayers like rose leaves between the pages of his book. I'm sorry, between the book, um, between the pages of his book of remembrance. And when the volume is opened at last, there shall be a precious fragrance spring up, spring up therefrom. Faith asks no signal from the skies to show the prayers accepted rise. Our priest is in his holy place and answers from the throne of grace. All right. So our reading today is going to be Ezekiel 7, 8, and 9, Hebrews 5. Uh, first 15 verses of Psalm 105 and Proverbs 26, verse 28, the very last verse of Proverbs 26. So Ezekiel 7, hear the word of the Lord. Moreover, the word of Yahweh came to me, saying, Now as for you, son of man, thus says Lord Yahweh to the land of Israel, an end, the coming, the, I'm sorry, the end is coming on the four corners of the earth. Now the end is upon you, and I will send my... Mm, and I will send my anger against you. I will judge you according to your ways and put all your abominations upon you. For my eye will have no pity on you, nor will I spare you. But I will put your ways upon you and your abominations will be among you. Then you will know that I am Yahweh. Thus says Lord Yahweh, a calamitous evil, a unique calamitous evil. Behold, it is coming. An end has come. The end has come. It has awakened against you. Behold, it is coming. Your doom has come to you, O inhabitant of the land. The time has come, the day is near, confusion rather than joyful shouting on the mountains. Now it is near when I will pour out my wrath on you and spend my anger against you, and judge you according to your ways, and put on you all your abom excuse me, all your abominations. My eye will show no pity, nor will I spare. I will give to you according to your ways. While your abominations are among you, then you will know that I, Yahweh, do the striking. Behold the day, behold it is coming. Your doom has gone forth, the rod has blossomed, arrogance has budded. Violence has grown into a rod of wickedness. None of them shall remain, none of their multitude, none of their moaning, nor anything imminent among them. The time has come, the day has arrived. Let not the buyer be glad, nor the seller mourn, for wrath is against all their multitude. Indeed, the seller will not return to himself what he sold as long as they both live, for the vision regarding all their multitude will not return empty, nor will any of them strengthen his life by the, his iniquity. They have blown the trumpet and made everything ready, but no one is going to the battle, for my wrath is against all their multitude. The sword is outside, and the plague and the famine are inside. He who is in the field will die by the sword. Famine and plague will also devour those in the city. Even when their survivors escape, they will be on the mountains like doves of the valleys, all of them moaning, each over his own iniquity. All hands will hang limp, and all knees will become like water. 
They will gird themselves with sackcloth, and horror will, will cover them, and shame will be on all faces, and baldness on all their heads. They will throw their silver into the streets, and their gold will become an impure thing. Their silver and their gold will not be able to deliver them in the day of the fury of Yahweh. They cannot satisfy their soul, nor can they fill their stomachs, for their iniquity has become an occasion of stumbling. They transformed the beauty of his ornaments into pride, and they made the images of their abominations and their detestable things with it. Therefore I will make it an impure thing to them. I will give it into the hands of the foreigner as plunder, and to the wicked of the earth as spoil, and they will profane it. I will also turn my face from them, and they will profane my secret place. Then robbers will enter and profane it. Make the chain, for the land is full of judgments, that promote, that promote bloodshed, and the city is full of violence. Therefore I will bring the most evil of the nations, and they will possess their houses. I will also make the pride of the strong ones cease, and their holy places will be profaned. Anguish has come, and they will seek peace, but there will be none. Disaster will come upon disaster, and report will be added to report. Then they will seek a vision from a prophet, but the law will be lost from the priest and counsel from the elders. The king will mourn the prince. I'm sorry, the king will mourn, the prince will be clothed with desolation, and the hands of the people of the land will be dismayed. According to their way I will deal with them, and by their judgments I will judge them, and they will know that I am Yahweh. Ezekiel 8 Now it happened in the sixth year, on the fifth day of the sixth month, as I was sitting in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, that the hand of Lord Yahweh fell on me there. Then I looked, and behold, a likeness as the appearance of one on fire. From his loins and downward there was the appearance of fire, and from his loins and upward the appearance of brightness, like the gleam of glowing metal. He sent forth the form of a hand, and took me by a lock of my head. And the Spirit lifted me up between the earth and heaven, and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the north gate of the inner court, where the seat of the figure of jealousy, which provokes to jealousy, was located. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there, like the appearance which I saw in the plain. Then he said to me, Son of man, raise your eyes now towards the north. So I raised my eyes towards the north, and behold, to the north of the altar gate was the figure of jealousy at the entrance. And he said to me, Son of man, are you seeing what they are seeing, the great abominations which the house of Israel is doing here, so that I would be far from my sanctuary? But yet you will see still greater abominations. Then he brought me to the entrance of the court, and when I looked, behold, a hole in the wall. He said to me, Son of man, now dig through the wall. So I dug through the wall, and behold, an entrance. And he said to me, Go in and see the evil abominations that they are doing here. So I entered and looked, and behold, every form of creeping things and beasts and detestable things with all the idols of the house of Israel were carved on the wall all around. Standing in front of them were seventy elders of the house of Israel, with Jazaniah the son of Shaphan standing among them, each man with his censer in his hand and the fragrance of the cloud of incense rising. Then he said to me, Son of man, do you see what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the dark? Each man in the room of his carved images, for they say, Yahweh does not see us, Yahweh has forsaken the land. And he said to me, Yet you will see still greater abominations which they are doing. Then he brought me to the entrance of the gate of the house of Yahweh, which was toward the north, and behold, women were sitting there weeping for Tammuz. He said to me, Do you see this, son of man? Yet you will see still greater abominations than these. Then he brought me into the inner court of the house of Yahweh, and behold, at the entrance to the temple of Yahweh, between the porch and the altar, were about twenty-five men with their backs to the temple of Yahweh, and their faces towards the east, 
and they were prostrating themselves eastward toward the sun. He said to me, Do you see this son of man? Is it too light a thing for the house of Judah to do the abominations which they have done here, that they have filled the land with violence and provoked me to anger still more? For behold, they are sending forth the twig to their nose. Therefore I also will do this in wrath. My eye will have no pity, nor will I spare, and they will cry in my ears with a loud voice, yet I will not listen to them. Ezekiel 9 Then he cried out in my hearing with a loud voice, saying, Draw near, O executioners of the city, each with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men were coming from the direction of the upper gate, which faces north, each with his shattering weapon in his hand, and among them was a certain man clothed in linen with a scribe's case at his loins, and they went in and stood beside the bronze altar. Then the glory of the God of Israel went up from the cherub on which it had been to the threshold of the house of Yahweh, and he called to the man clothed in linen, at whose loins was the scribe's case. Yahweh said to him, Go through the midst of the city, even through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations which are being done in its midst. But to the others he said in my hearing, Go through the city after him and strike. Do not let your eye have pity and do not spare. Kill to utter destruction old men, chosen men, virgins, little ones, and women. But do not touch any man on whom is the mark, and you shall start from my sanctuary. So they started with the elders who were before the house. And he said to them, Defile the house and fill the courts with the slain. Go out. Thus they went out and struck down the people in the city. Now it happened as they were striking the people, and I alone remained, that I fell on my face and cried out and said, Alas, Lord Yahweh, are you destroying the whole remnant of Israel by pouring out your wrath on Jerusalem? Then he said to me, the iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is very, very great, and the land is filled with bloodshed, and the city is full of perversion. For they say, Yahweh has forsaken the land, and Yahweh does not see. But as for me, my eye will have no pity, nor will I spare, but I will put their way upon their heads. Then behold, the man clothed in linen, at whose loins was the scribe's case, responded with a word, saying, I have done just as you have commanded me. Hebrews 5 for every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God, in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, being able to deal gently with the ignorant and misguided, since he himself also is beset with weakness. And because of it, he is obligated, just as for the people, to also offer sacrifices for sins in the same way for himself. And no one takes his honor, this honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. In this way, also, Christ did not glorify himself to become a high priest, but he, but he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Just as he says also in another passage, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. He, in the days of his flesh, offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered, and having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Concerning him we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For through... For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. 
For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern both good and evil. Psalm 105, verses 1-15 through O give thanks to Yahweh, call upon his name, make known his acts among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, muse on all his wondrous deeds, boast in his holy name, let the heart of those who seek Yahweh be glad. Inquire of Yahweh and his strength, seek his face continually, remember his wondrous deeds which he has done, his miracles and the judgments uttered by his mouth. O seed of Abraham, his servant, O sons of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is Yahweh our God, his judgments are in all the earth. He has remembered his covenant forever, the word which he commanded for a thousand generations, which he cut with Abraham, and his oath to Isaac. Then he confirmed it to Jacob for a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan, as the portion of your inheritance. When they were only a few men in number, of little account, and sojourners in it, and they wandered about from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another to another people, he permitted no man to oppress them, and he reproved kings for their sakes. Do not touch my anointed ones, and to my prophets do no evil. Finally, Proverbs 26, verse 28. A lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Alright, well that is our reading for the day. Thank you for spending this time with me. I continue to pray that this time together helps to keep you saturated in the Word of God. Um, again, as I've always said... This cannot be a replacement for your own study or your own reading and studying and meditation. You need to be doing all this, and then this should come alongside that, not replace it. Um, because we all need to be, we are all commanded to be saturated in the Word of God. So, so I would continue to pray that you do so. Uh, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you for the evening segment. Uh, let's go ahead and close out with prayer. The prayer we're going to close out with from Valley of Vision is called Joy. Let's pray. O cross, O Christ, all thy ways of mercy tend to and end in my delight. Thou didst weep, sorrow, suffer that I might rejoice. For my joy, though thou hast sent the Comforter, multiplied thy promises, shown me my future happiness, given me a living fountain. Thou art preparing joy for me and me for joy. I pray for joy, wait for joy, long for joy. Give me more than I can hold, desire, or think of. Measure out to me my times and degrees of joy at my work, business, duties. If I weep at night, give me joy in the morning. Let me rest in the thought of thy love, pardon for sin, my title to heaven, my future unspotted state. I am an unworthy recipient of thy grace. I often disesteem thy blood and slight thy love. But can in repentance draw water from I'm sorry, but can in repentance draw water from the wells of thy joyous forgiveness. Let my heart leap towards the eternal Sabbath, where the work of redemption, sanctification, preservation, glorification is finished and perfected forever, where thou wilt rejoice over me with joy. There is no joy like the joy of heaven, for in that state are no sad divisions, unchristian quarrels, contentions, evil designs, weariness, hunger, cold, sadness, sin, suffering, persecutions, toils of duty. O healthful place where none are sick, O happy land where all are kings, O holy assembly where all are priests, how free a state where none are servants except to thee. Bring me speedily to the land of joy. Amen.
All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Friday, November 3rd episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. All right, well, we're going to be continuing on in our study of John chapter 14. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Let's open up with prayer. We're going to open up with one from Valley Vision called Contentment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if I should suffer need and go unclothed and be in poverty, make my heart prize thy love. Know it, be constrained by it. Though I be denied all blessings, it is thy mercy to afflict and try me with wants. For by these trials I see my sins, and desire severance from them. Let me willingly accept misery, sorrows, temptations. If I can thereby feel sin as the greatest evil, and be delivered from it with gratitude to thee, acknowledging this as the highest testimony of thy love. When thy son, Jesus, came into my soul, instead of sin he became more dear to me than sin had formerly been. His kindly rule replaced sin's tyranny. Teach me to believe that if ever I would have any sin subdued, I must not only labor to overcome it, but must invite Christ to abide in the place of it, and he must become to me more than vile lust had been, that his sweetness, power, life may be there. Thus I must seek a grace from him contrary to sin, but must not claim it apart from himself. When I am afraid of evils to come, comfort me by showing me that in myself I am a dying, condemned wretch. But in Christ I am reconciled and, and live, that in myself I find insufficiency and no rest. But in Christ there is satisfaction and peace, that in myself I am feeble and unable to do good. But in Christ I have ability to do all things. Though now I have his graces in part, I shall shortly have them perfectly. In that state where thou wilt show thyself fully reconciled, and alone sufficient, efficient, loving me completely with sin abolished. O Lord, hasten that day. All right, and our evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, the text is from Second Chronicles thirty twenty-seven. Their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place, even unto heaven. Prayer is the never-failing resort of the Christian in any case, in every plight. When you cannot use your sword, you must take to the weapon of all prayer. Your powder may be damp, your bowstring may be relaxed, but the weapon of all prayer need never be out of order. Leviathan laughs at the javelin, but he trembles at prayer. Sword and spear need furbishing, but prayer never rusts, and when we think it most blunt, it cuts the best. Prayer is an open door which none can shut. Devils may surround you on all sides, but the way upward is always open, and as long as that road is unobstructed, you will not fall into the enemy's hand. We can never be taken by blockade, escalade, mine, or storm, so long as heavenly succors can, become, can come down to us by Jacob's ladder to relieve us in the time of our necessities. Prayer is never out of season. In summer and in winter, its merchandise is precious. Prayer gains audience with heaven in the dead of night, in the midst of business, in the heat of noonday, in the shades of evening, in every condition, whether of poverty or sickness or obscurity or slander or doubt. Your covenant God will welcome your prayer and answer it from his holy place. Nor is prayer ever futile. 
True prayer is evermore true power. You may not always get what you ask, but you shall always have your real wants supplied. When God does not answer his children according to the letter, he does so according to the Spirit. If thou askest for, for coarse meal, wilt thou be angered because he gives thee the finest flour? If thou seekest bodily health, shouldst thou complain, if instead thereof he makes thy sickness turn to the healing of spiritual maladies? Is it not better to have the cross sanctified than removed? This evening, my soul, forget not to offer thy petition and request, for the Lord is ready to grant thee thy desire. All right, well, like I said, we're continuing on in our study of John chapter 14, um, you know, in a, the Gospel of John, and we're hit, we hit a new section. We wrapped up uh, the supernatural peace section last night. And again, you know, so so real quick, you know, that's the thing. We're, we're at a point, and, and we're going to see this clearly, even, especially in our first day, we're at a point that the, these uh, disciples, and excuse me, I'm going to grab a drink of tea here. Oh, sorry. Had ice in it. Um, where these these guys, um, and and I don't say this to to belittle them by any means, because I'd have been in the same place. But their their world's falling apart. They've depended on this guy. I, we've talked about that. We've been talking about that for weeks. They've depended on this guy for for their for their upkeep. And I'm not claiming they're mercenary. I mean, I mean, they believe. They truly believe he's the Messiah. But he's been he's been their provender, if you don't know what that means. It's, it's their provider. He provides for them um, in, in all ways in all things, not only their spiritual teaching, but but um, the contributions to his ministry and all that has con has continued. And that's what's provided for them. And again, like I've said, the odds of them being able to go back to work in their in their previous jobs is pretty slim. Not, not because of a poor work ethic or anything like that, like we see in some of our generations today, but, but because of the fact that it's, that it's just not really doable. So, you know, they're starting to get the hint that, you know, him talking about his, his crucifixion is real. You know, they're, they're really starting to get that, that this is real. He's really going to die. We, we, and you know, again, yeah, they know he's the Messiah, but again, as I've talked about before, they have a real misunderstanding of what this means. Um, not in a general sense, but they think he's here to be a temporal Messiah to <clears throat> an earthly Messiah, that he is here to kick the Romans out, to take over as King of, of Israel and to run off everybody else and bring perfect peace within Israel for them, for the Jews. That's not what the Messiah meant. Um, and, 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 and it's, it's a misunderstanding. Truly. It's a misunderstanding of the prophecies throughout the prophets, throughout the prophetic section of the old Testament. It's, it's very, very clear that that's not what's meant. Yeah. He's bringing salvation, but he's not bringing salvation for Israel alone. He's bringing it for the world, you know, and, and he's bringing a spiritual salvation. I mean, the, again, the, and and this is a common thing, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this up. This this kind of always hits me, um, and it's one of the when I get people trying to debate about um, baptism, whether it should be pedo baptism, baptism of babies, or baptism of believers, and where they try to justify the baptism of baptism of babies by trying to tie it into circumcision, 
and, and I understand their arguments. I'm not putting down their arguments. I just don't agree with them, but I, but I understand where they're coming from and I understand the biblical grounds for where they're coming from at the same time. Um, but, but one of the things, what it always makes me think of is the problem was for me, not about baptism in general, um, because I have, please understand, I have many, many brothers in Christ that I truly trust and love to work hand in hand for the kingdom with that believe in pedo baptism. And I do not, and I have no problem with that. They are not heretics. That is something we can disagree on. But when it comes to, when it comes to circumcision, so the idea of circumcision, when it was implemented with Abraham and then Ishmael and Isaac, and then Jacob and Esau and on and on and on down through the families, it was meant to be a rep a physical representation of, of the circumcision of their heart, of the, of the trimming away of the worldly, the fleshly, the, the sinful from the heart to make it pure. It, it was to be a representation of that as turning this thing away to this, away from this. And that's not what it ended up. It ended up being, um, eventually we end up seeing that, um, and especially even in first century, we had the Judaizers in the first century church. We had the Judaizers that tried to enforce circumcision upon the new believers on the, on those that were coming to a saving faith, particularly the Gentile believers trying to force that on them if, as if that was still, you still had to do that. And, and I'm not bashing circumcision or non-circumcision. I neither. I mean, Paul is very clear in his arguments and I forget which epistle it's in, but it's really clear that neither circumcision or non-circumcision is a thing. N neither one of them earns or loses you salvation. But it, it was a complete misunderstanding of the meaning of it. Well, that's the thing. They, they could, so I'm saying all that to say they completely understood what this Messiah meant. It wasn't a worldly thing. Again, the, the, the physical circumcision is a worldly thing. And they thought that was all of it, not, not the spiritual circumcision. Again, the, the physical circumcision was only supposed to be a representation of what really mattered. <clears throat> so this worldly Messiah they're talking about. And again, Jesus is incarnate there. It, the idea is only a, a, a physical representation of what's really supposed to be happening. The spiritual salvation of the world providing for the salvation of the world. And when I say the world, I'm talking of those who would believe I'm not talking about the whole world. The Bible's very clear that not all will be saved. So please don't ever misunderstand me as saying that the Bible is clear. Not all will be saved. So, Moving on from that. So again, they, they've completely misunderstood this. And so they're stumbling with it. So again, we've seen Jesus throughout the beginning of parts of um, John 14 through verse 27, trying to provide comfort to them. And so we've seen the comfort for the troubled heart section, the legacy of Jesus section. And then verse 27, we saw that four different about the supernatural peace, the nature of peace, the source of peace, the contrast to peace and the pursuit of peace. And we saw that he's trying to make clear to them that they need to have, they need to appropriate that Christian peace and what that, what that, the nature of it is, where it comes from and, and what the world tries to do to, to, to make a mockery of it. I mean, again, what the world tries to provide as, as a, as a, as a false version of it. So what we're looking at today from verses 28 through 31 is we're going to start to get into, and we'll deal with part of it today, and we'll deal with the rest next week, God willing, is what Jesus' death meant to him. 
what Jesus' death meant to him. So we're going to deal with verse, verse 28 today. And the title for this is his ministry would be vindicated. It's verse 28. Let me go ahead and read verse 28 to you. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the father for the father is greater than I. So we, we tend to think of, and when I, when I, when I kind of dug into this, I'm like, um, you know, and, and I've told you before, there, there's a theologian that I very much trust. Um, and from his commentaries, I, which I study, though I study a number of others as well, I tend to take my, my section titles and, and my subtitles for this Bible study that we're doing here. I don't do that for my sermons and stuff, but for this, it just makes it easier for me to organize and put stuff together and break stuff down. Um, and so that's where these titles come from. They're, they're not from me. I'm not that creative or, or that quick. I mean, and I, and I couldn't think up alliteration to save your, to save my life. I, that's just not me. I'm not good at it, but I never really thought of it this way. You know, we think about all the time about Jesus death, about his crucifixion and what it means to us, what it means to the world, but we don't ever really think of what it means to him. But these verses, these four verses, very much deal with what it means to him. And, you know, so, so to make that contrast, let, let's look at, you know, what it really means, what it meant to him. J.C. Ryle, more than 150 years ago, spoke of Christ's death and said, Christ's death is the grand peculiarity of the Christian religion. Other religions have laws and moral precepts, forms and ceremonies, rewards and punishments, but other religions cannot tell us of a dying Savior. They cannot show us the cross. This is the crown and glory of the gospel. Now, another theologian said of it, and I'm sorry, I'm reading it straight out of the book. It's easier this way. The event of time or eternity compares... (coughs) I'm sorry, no event of time or eternity compares with the transcending, transcending significance of the death of Christ on the cross. Other important undertakings of God, such as the creation of the world, the incarnation of Christ, his resurrection, the second coming and the creation of the new heavens and the new earth become meaningless if Christ did not die. In the study of Christ is his suffering and death. One is in a, ho- is in a holy of I'm sorry. One is in a holy of holies, a mercy seat sprinkled with blood to which only the spirit taught mind has access. In his death, Christ supremely revealed the holiness and righteousness of God, as well as the love of God, which prompted the sacrifice. In a similar way, the infinite wisdom of God is revealed as no human mind would ever have devised such a way of salvation, and only an infinite God would be willing to sacrifice his son. again so that makes really clear how important it is to us um if if you don't if you don't understand it to you and i to 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 the church to to and when i say the church i'm talking the invisible church to those that are saved to those that are brought to a saving faith in christ um throughout the millennia to us it is salvation his death means salvation He's paying the price. Don't, don't ever misunderstand that. And I agree with pastor Jay. I know the wording, um, is in the scriptures and stuff. Um, and, and we tend to speak of particularly in confessions and stuff like that. We speak of sins being forgiven. Um, 
and and that's fine and it's it's accurate to a certain extent but the problem is it has the uh we tend to have the picture of those sins being ignored they're forgiven they're ignored they're pushed pushed off the side and doesn't matter and honestly and i and i agree with pastor day he was speaking of this um i believe he was speaking of it sunday no less um is that your sins have been paid for your sins were paid for our sins were paid for they were paid for by the death of christ on the cross that death that crucifixion what did jesus death mean to us is he paid for our debts which allowed us like we were talking about in the peace for and for the last four days we talking about that peace and that nature of peace that how am i trying to go with this um the the the, the objective piece that we talked about, sorry, it took a minute to grab, grab my, jump back on the train of thought, huh? <laughs> that objective piece that, uh, that we spoke of that, that is represented, it, it, it's tied into our, our state with God, whether we're at war with him or we're not at war with him. Well, Jesus death paid that price. He, he took on, on himself, our sins, the sins of those who believe. And he faced the wrath. He took on himself the wrath that God poured out because of those sins, the wrath we would have had to face. So they're paid for. So again, that's why I prefer that terminology. They are paid for. So that's, that's what that means to us. And without that, the rest doesn't matter, but he's paid that price. Well, so, but that's what it means to us. But what is the, what does it mean to him? What, what is, what is his, what does his death mean to him? Well, what Christ's death to him means, and we, we got four different topics we're going to deal with over the the next three, four days, next four days. Um, but what we're dealing with today is his ministry would be vindicated. So, so let's, I'm going to read verse 28 again, and then we're going to talk about it. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the father for the father is greater than I. So again, <laughs> you know, his, his first, the first part of this. And again, this is not really part, part of the really our his ministry would be vindicated is more the very last portion of this. You would have rejoiced because I go to the father for the father is greater than I, but let's talk about this first part. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. He's showing some exasperation with them at this point. Um, again, you know, uh, he's been very clear. I'm going to go away and I'll come to you. Now, this is the guy who has changed water to wine, has fed the 5,000, has he healed, healed the lame man at the pool of Bethesda, has given back um, the man, and I, and I forget exactly where he was, but the man who was born blind gave him sight. And he's resurrected Lazarus. Okay. Those are the minimum. I know I've left out um, probably two of the ones in John that I don't remember. Oh, well, he's walked on water. He's walked on water. Um, and I know there are a bunch more. And there's a bunch more throughout the other um, portions of uh, the scripture, the other gospels. So there's some frustration there, but I'm sure there's some understanding as well. I mean, you know, they're, they're kind of falling apart and he's trying to settle them. And so he repeats... You know, I've said to you, I go away and I'll come to you that he's going to come back. He's going to come to them. But then he calls them out and, and it's justified. 
If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. So you're going to hear that and you're going to go, well, how does that have to do with his ministry being vindicated? So Jesus, you know, he's done all these miracles. He's given all this teaching and he's made clear throughout it that it, it, especially as it's closed here on the end, that it is now God's time and that he will be murdered and then that he will be resurrected. He has stated this very clearly and he's stated from the beginning and we've seen that throughout the gospel of John. He stated more than once already that we've, we've dealt with on this, on this podcast where he's been clear that what he does, he only does what the father has shown him. He does only does what the father has told him. He only speaks what the father speaks. So the entirety of his ministry is from the father is from God. So he's really making clear to them, listen, I get it. You're freaked out. I mean, in a, and I'm putting it into 21st century vernacular. I get it. You're freaked out. But if you truly loved me and you truly believed what I've been teaching you and telling you and showing you, you would be rejoicing because what is coming and what I'm telling you fulfills. I mean, the fact is what he's doing here. So the prophecies aren't just about the Messiah being born. The prophecies in the Old Testament are about the Messiah being crucified, the Messiah being beaten. He was a man of sorrows in Isaiah. Very, very clear. I think it's, that's, uh, I don't remember. I think it's 52, but it's very clear. A man of sorrows that he is going to be beaten that, that, and then about him being crucified, but also that he's going to rise again. I mean, he's fulfilling these prophecies. And that's what he's saying is, listen, I'm going to be without being specific, but, but they would understand this where you and I have to go dig. They would understand this as being clear that, that he is fulfilling these prophecies and in fulfilling those prophecies, he's vindicating, he's validating his ministry. He's showing more than ever that what he has done, I mean, his ministry has been laid out through prophecy and he has fulfilled all of it. And so he is fulfilling it here. Um, and that's what he's calling him out on it. Listen, if you really love me, you'd be rejoicing because I'm fulfilling it because I'm going to be going to the father on, at the same time. He's like, you would, you would love me. If you really love me, you'd be rejoicing. Because what this is saying here, so when the, where this says, and people have twisted this before, for the Father is greater than I. Please don't misunderstand that. Too many people try, have tried to twist that to say that Jesus is lesser than God, that Jesus is not God incarnate, that he's something else, that he's something created, that he's what? That's not what he's saying. When he's saying, for the Father is greater than I, particularly where the Greek is here, it makes very, very clear that what he is saying is the father is in heaven and he is down on earth. Okay. So lesser than he, he allowed himself. Um, I forget. And I think I have it here. I didn't make good notes here. Uh, here we go. This is perfect. And th this should put that in context. So Philippians two, five through eight. Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. 
being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Again, he humbled himself. He lowered himself. So that's why he's speaking of the father being greater, but he lowered himself from where he was. He's making clear. If you love me, you would rejoice at the fact that I'm returning to where I belong. Yes, I did this and this was important and I needed to come do this, but I'm returning to where I belong and where I go there. I am a mediator between you and the father. So he's like, if you really loved me, you wouldn't be worried about your own petty little things. You'd be joyous that I'm doing that because one, I'm fulfilling the prophecies, making very, very, making even more clear that I'm the Messiah and that my ministry has been true and has been from God. And two, that I'm returning to my place. I'm returning to where I belong from this humbleness, this humble position that I took for your salvation. I'm now returning to sit beside the father. That's what he's saying here. That's what he's trying to make clear if his ministry would be vindicated. And that's what he's trying to make clear to them is listen, if you really, really loved me, if you really, really believe I'm who you say, you say I am, even if you're misunderstanding the Messiah part, if you really understood all that and you really searched the scriptures, you would be ecstatic at this point. And and they're not, I mean, they're, they're struggling with it. And, and again, we're going to see them like, you know, their faith is already waning. Their faith, faith is already struggling. Don't get me wrong. They're, they're, they're not going to be lost. You know, they, they're not going to lose their salvation. That's not what's going to happen, but they're struggling and this is getting tougher. This is going to get tougher. Um, and we're going to see at the end of our verses for this section, they leave the upper room. We see in verse 31, get up, let us go from here. Um, but again, he, he's trying to make clear and, and actually he's showing that what this means to him it, as terrifying as it is, and please don't ever misunderstand. It's not that Jesus is being blasé about the fact that he's going to be crucified. Um, <clears throat> everything I've ever heard about what the, what crucifixion was truly like to the human body. And please don't ever misunderstand as much as Christ was truly, truly God, fully God. He was truly man, fully man. He experienced every bit of that, that any other human would have experienced. So he's not just going, skipping tra la la into crucifixion, <clears throat> but he knows it is the climax and the key piece of his ministry. It is the key piece. The rest of it doesn't matter. The miracles don't matter. The resurrection doesn't matter. I mean, as amazing as that is, as wonderful a miracle as that is, his ascension doesn't matter. None of it matters without his crucifixion, without his death, because his death pays for our sins. Without that, there's no salvation. Without that, there is no salvation. And, and <clears throat> that's what that means for us. But that's the thing with that being the case that vindicates his ministry, that validates that ministry. So that's what we need to see here. That validation of that ministry 
of his ministry. And in that validation of it, we, we need to be confident. We need to take hope. We need to take confidence from that and be assured in our, in our walk and be assured in that, um, this, this Jesus wasn't some crazy guy wandering around, wandering around Israel, um, making proclamations and doing some interesting miracles and stuff. He is the son of God and his crucifixion and resurrection culminates, wraps up his earthly ministry, which brought salvation to you and I. So we've got to take confidence in that. All right. That's going to do it for this evening. Thank you for spending this time with me. I, I continue to pray that, that this time with me, um, helps your, you to grow deeper in your knowledge of the scriptures, uh, so that, so that you can, it can continue to, um, continue to shape your walk. I hope you have yourself a beautiful and wonderful rest of your evening. Uh, we're going to go ahead and close out with prayer. We're going to close out with the six day evening prayer. It's called the mediator. Let's pray. O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we hope in thy word. There we see thee, not on a fearful throne of judgment, but on a throne of grace, waiting to be gracious and exalted in mercy. There we hear thee saying, Not depart ye cursed, but look unto me, and be ye saved. For I am God, and there is no, none else. They that know thy name put their trust in thee. How many now glorified in heaven, and what numbers living on earth are thy witnesses, O God, exemplifying in their recovery from the ruins of the fall, the freeness, riches, and efficacy of thy grace. All that were ever saved excuse me, all that were ever saved were saved by thee and will through eternity exclaim, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and truth's sake. Thou hast chosen to transact all thy concerns with us through a mediator in whom all fullness dwells and who is exalted to be prince and savior. To him we look, on him we depend, through him we are justified. May we derive relief from his sufferings without ceasing to abhor sin or to long after holiness. Feel the double efficacy of his blood, tranquilizing and cleansing our consciences. Delight in his service as well as in his sacrifice. Be constrained by his love. To live not to ourselves, but to him. Cherish a grateful and cheerful disposition. Not murmuring and repining if our wishes are not indulged, or because some trials are blended with our enjoyments, but sensible of our desert and impressed with the number and greatness of thy benefits. May we bless and praise thee at all times. Amen. All right. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your evening and a wonderful weekend. Have a good night. God bless. Music.